Let's be sure we keep Bill Judson in our prayers uh, as he gets ready for cataract surgery on the other eye tomorrow and uh, pray that everything goes excellently and as easy as possible, easy recovery as possible. And appreciate the prayer for uh, safety for the weather. They look, you know, right now the weather guesters are talking about some pretty serious stuff coming our way possibly. So let's keep safe as we get out there and keep everybody in prayer. Good to see everybody, really is. Great to be back, you know, more of a, uh, you know, full complement after the holidays. So many people traveling in different directions, including my wife and I, and good, we're very thankful to be back home as well. I want us to continue in this particular series. It's been about three weeks since uh, I began this particular series. Uh, actually, maybe four weeks, and I believe it's been four weeks. We looked at the first, the first not, uh, three weeks, I believe. I've gone, gone one Sunday, and then we had singing night last Sunday night. So I introduced this as a series where we're focusing on, and again, I want these Sunday evening services, that's what I've been trying to uh, really focus on, the Sunday evening lessons as being faith building, helping us as individual Christians to build our faith. When we look at the New Testament scriptures, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those are gospel accounts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, talking about he came to this earth, bringing the message of salvation, the gospel from heaven. And he came proclaiming himself to be the Savior, God the Son. And he proved that over and over and over again through the miracles and signs and wonders as he talked about. And then you get into the book of Acts and you see, okay, that's the history book of the early church. And so you see as the church develops and begins to spread. And then you look at the letters and those are letters to largely to the individual congregations or groups of congregations, instructing them about how they need to be the church. Then you get into James and there are instructions for the individual Christian. And that's pretty much the same way for first and second Peter, first and second, third John and Jude. And then you get into the revelation and you're talking about prophecy off into the future much of which I believe has already been fulfilled. So those situations, when we come together on Sunday mornings, we kind of blend a lot of times the sermons either to the non-Christians or to Christians to strengthen us and help us really focus on living that life. But on Sunday evenings, I want us to really grow in our faith. And so that's what I've really been uh, focusing on as I've selected these particular lessons of, of, of study, these themes of study. And uh, this one is, is along that line too. I've entitled it, Put the Devil Out by Letting God In. And this is a a statement that we really need to understand because a whole lot of people, they want to try to have God and the devil in their life. Now they would say, no, that's not true. Well, yeah, it is because of the way they live their life. They want to say that I believe in God, I'm dedicated to God, and I love God, and I even love the Lord, but then they live a life of sinfulness. They're not very faithful at all, if at all, except they keep saying, I love God, I believe in God, and so on. And, and so we need to understand that it can't be that way. Jesus even said, if you love father or mother more than me or son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. 
And, and certainly Jesus made the clear distinction and, and, and statement, you cannot be following God and the devil at the same time. And so that's what we need to understand. So we introduced this about three weeks ago, and I want to I wanna go a little bit further tonight. So let's go back and just a brief, quick review of that, of that introduction. Now, when we look at James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and I know I use that particular text of Scripture a lot, but people need to understand, we need to understand that very truth, that principle of truth that I just emphasized. You cannot walk with the devil and God at the same time. Either one or the other is going to be the master of your life. Either one direction or the other is going to be the direction of your life. But you're not going to be able to play around in sin and still say I'm faithful to God at the same time. They're, they're diametrically opposed to one another. So this particular text lays out two sides here, two sides, two parts. First, therefore submit to God. We have to make up our mind. We're going to walk with God. We're going to live a godly life. We're going to live by his teachings. We're going to be faithful, live a life of faithfulness. And then the second part, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. Here's that first part reemphasized, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. There's that second part, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We cannot live a double-minded life before God. Again, with two directions, two masters, it's not going to work. It does, it, 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 again, because again, those two directions in life are opposed to one another. They're not going down the same stream. They're going in opposite directions. So we have to make up our mind. We have to choose, am I going to follow God or am I going to walk with the devil? If I'm going to follow God, then I know what, what that ultimate direction is going to lead me to. That's heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. If I do not walk with God, if I let the devil be my main leader in my life, then I'm going to walk down that road to self-destruction, and that's eternal condemnation in hell. So two parts, two directions, two masters, we've got to make up our mind. The only way to truly beat the devil and he has his powers, he has his influence, if we'll let him have influence in our life. But the only way to truly beat him is by drawing near to, by walking with God. And that's what James lays out there. He writes this to individual Christians. Now the Apostle Paul, he went into more depth perhaps in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, and I'm not going to read the whole immediate context there. It's rather lengthy, but I'm going to pick out the, the first couple of verses there. Verses 16 and 17, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, got to make up our minds. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit uh, against the flesh. We're talking about, again, two different focuses in life, two different lifestyles. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. When we start playing around with sin, we find ourselves doing things that really violate our conscience. And we, we, it causes us spiritual pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, because we know we're doing things we should not do. And we know that we're doing things that we don't want to do, really. And Paul goes into a whole lengthy 
discourse on that in, in, in the Romans letter. I do things I do not want to do. I find myself not doing what I want to do and so on. So again, here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, he could have said there, you cannot serve God and the devil. And, and we would say, okay, I, I get that now. And that's basically the, the principle that he's laying out for us there. In Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, Paul writes, what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. And here's this conflict again. But which way am I going to go? Which, which lead am I going to follow? If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And again, wake up call. Okay. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to euphemize it. Don't try to sugarcoat it. Recognize sin when it is sin. And, and admit that, repent of it, ask God's forgiveness, and then move on in the right direction. Paul goes on and says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now he's not talking double talk here. He's talking about the conflict. I want to do what's right, but I find myself ending up, ending up in sin. I don't want to end up in sin, but I find myself not doing what I want to do. And so he's laying it out there for us. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And then he goes on, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. And so he says, this is such an inner conflict. It's like a war going on within my, within my mind, within my life. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so if I turn to living that fleshly life, that worldly life, I'm going to be in sin. But I want to live that righteous life. I want to live that godly life. And so I've got to stay focused. I've got to make up my mind. Got to make up my mind. And what is the answer? Going back to verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then the, the solution that, that Paul had learned, and we talked about this morning, Philippians 4 and verse 13, how can I overcome sin? How can I resist the devil? How can I stay on the pathway of righteousness in the face of all the temptations that the devil throws at me, all of the difficulties and challenges of life that he uses to try to bring me away from godliness, away from faithfulness? Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let's move on from that, you know, brief rehearsal of the introduction, and let's look at the obvious contrast here. The obvious contrast. So, friendship with the world is enmity with God. 
James says, pure and undefiled religion before God, the Father, is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble, to keep oneself unspotted, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Clear, a clear choice we have to make, as I've been emphasizing. What kind of life am I going to live? Am I going to be of the world? If I'm of the world, then I'm not of God. Or am I going to live a godly life? And if I choose that and are focused and determined to live a godly life, then I'm not going to live a worldly life. Because again, the two are incongruent. They do not go together whatsoever. They don't blend together. Make up our mind. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Verse chapter four and verse four. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now you talk about stark statements in that fourth verse of chapter four in James's letter. He says, now, friendship with the world, living a worldly life, if that's the main focus of my lifestyle, he said, that puts me, and he uses a word there, it's a little technical, enmity with God. He's talking about, it puts me in a strife situation, a strife relationship with God. And then he says, whoever wants to be a friend of the world he makes himself an enemy of God. You talk about strong language? If we want to live that worldly life, it's not just an, an, inconsequent an inconsequential choice. But we put ourselves in a position of being an enemy of God. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 10. Now we focus a lot on verse 8 where it says God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But he also talks about how Christ died for us while we were enemies, enemies. And the sense is what James is bringing out here, enemies of God because of our sinfulness. Now a lot of people, a whole lot of people, we need to come to that realization. We cannot play with sin and still be right with God. If we're living in sinfulness, that puts us in a, 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 a relationship of strife or a position of being in strife with God. It makes us an enemy of God if we're living a sinful lifestyle. Now, so there's the contrast. There's the contrast. We look at Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So our lifestyle needs to demonstrate our dedication and commitment to God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind, and how do we renew our mind. We get into God's word. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A friend of God lives faithfully by the teachings of his word. If you're not living by his word, then you're automatically living in worldliness. Salvation, 
It's only in Christ, only in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, they've made that choice. They've made that differentiation in their life. I'm going to be walking according to the spirit, according to the teachings of God's word. I'm not going to be living in a worldly lifestyle. I've made up my mind. I've made my choice. We go back to Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 again. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is the best way to overcome sin? Get involved in righteous living. What is the best way to resist the devil? What did James say? Again, James 4 and verse 7, 8, by walking with God. So walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things which you wish. So walking according to the spirit and walking according to the flesh are completely different lifestyles that again are absolutely contradictory to one another. They're going in different directions. They do not complement one another whatsoever, but they're absolutely contradictory to one another. We want to read what John the Apostle wrote in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse, 17, uh, verse 15. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, he's not saying that we should not have some enjoyment in our physical lives, in this physical world, but he says, the world cannot be your main focus and your main direction. That is worldliness, the ways of the world, your main focus in life. Because that kind of love, that, 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 that direction of love will crowd out your love for God. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, a stark statement direct statement. It's an either or proposition for all that is in the world. And what are the ways of the world like? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. What a great incentive. I want to be with God forever in heaven. And that's the way of godliness. And that's the opposite of the ways of the world. Again, we need to make up our minds. Godliness just does not mix with worldliness. Just does not mix. John 14 and verse 30, Jesus said, talking to his apostles, the night of his betrayal, I will no longer be with you much. For the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. Now, someone might say, what? I thought God was the ruler, is the ruler of this world. Uh, if we had time, we could look at different verses of scripture that talk about and identify the devil as the prince of this world. And so Jesus is saying the devil's coming. You know, he, he knows what's going to happen. He's going to be on the cross the next day. He's going to be betrayed by one of his own. And those who should have been most ready for him to come as the Savior are going to instigate his crucifixion on that cross. 
And so he says, the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. We'd go to chapter 15, verse 19, same setting, same night. Next day he's going to be on the cross. He tells the apostles, if, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now we don't have a scriptural record of the ultimate death and the reason for it of each of the apostles. We have some scripture record of some of them, but we have some historical writing that indicates that all of the apostles, with the exception of John, died as Christian martyrs, died for their faith. Chapter 17, verse 14, again, the same setting, same night, Jesus goes on and he says, I have given them, he's praying in, in this particular chapter to the Father, and he's talking about the apostles, praying about and for the apostles at this, in this part of his prayer. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so that night, he keeps trying to, understand, keeps trying to help his apostles understand and, and he prays to the Father about it. You're not of the world. The world, the people of the world, the people who are living worldly lives, they're not going to like you. They're not going to like your message by and large. And so Jesus prays for the apostles. Take care of them, Father, please. He died on the cross for a particular purpose. And, and we could say, yes, Yes, he, he died to pay the price for the guilt of our sins, but he died, he died on that cross to deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians chapter one, verses three and four. Paul introduces the letter to the churches of Galatia and he says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He came to deliver us, to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, Paul, he gives some very pointed instructions to the church, to the Christians in the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 and 24, at 20 through 24. And he says, now, make up your mind. You, you've, got to, you've got to live a changed lifestyle. He said, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Think about what he says there. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17 first. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there's that, that imagery again of the difference between the old man that we used to be before we became Christians before we were baptized into Christ and the new man that we have become as we came into Christ through baptism. 
forgiven of our sins. We were lost in our sins before. We're forgiven from our sins now. We were sinners before. We're Christians now. And he says, so put off that old man. Don't go back to that. Don't hold on to that old way of life that was contrary to godliness, that was contrary to faithfulness in Christ. But put on that new man. Be that new person from the spiritual perspective. Now, Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, and we're told that in baptism, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we're told that we're raised with him as we come up out of the waters. Having been buried in the waters of baptism, we come up out of those waters raised to walk in newness of life. So Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. And these verses continue to emphasize we have to make that choice. We've got to make up our minds. Which way am I going to live? What kind of a person from a spiritual perspective am I going to be? We move on to verses 5 through 10 in Colossians chapter 3. Paul goes on and he says, therefore, put, put to death your members which are on this earth. What's he mean? Put to death your members which are on this earth. Well, sinful practices, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them before you you became a Christian. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Again, the clear contrast between the old lifestyle of sinfulness and the new lifestyle that we take up as a Christian having been baptized into Christ where salvation is found. The only way, the only way to put off the devil, to put him out of our life is by letting God in. 1 Peter 5 verses 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, one who stands against you, your enemy in other words, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's not, it's not a play thing. It's not a game. We're talking about life and death from an eternal perspective. He walks about looking whom he may desire, devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. The faith the teachings of God's word, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And then we look a little bit further, 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. You are of God, little children. John's writing this to to, to, to Christians. You are of God and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. One thing we can hang our hats on and we can be absolutely confident in and therefore take courage in is the reality that God is more powerful than the devil. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, 
those outside of Christ, those who are living in sinfulness. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. And this ought to apply to every single one of us here this evening. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The only way to put the devil out of your life is by letting God in. Bringing God into your life, turning to him in faithful obedience, letting him be the guide and director as to how you live your life every day for the rest of your life. The devil's always out there. He's always working. Sometime read the book of Job. I think it's a book that we probably ought to get back into on a regular basis because even though Job was a righteous man, yet the devil worked on him vigorously to no avail, but he still worked on him, trying to turn him. But we can beat the devil by walking with God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But we've got to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, as we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Do you need to come? Do you need to take that step? Are you ready? We'd love to help you. If you need to study further, we'd love to study with you. If you need prayer, we're here to pray with you and for you. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?